Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Tox and Tasting Studios, this is the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. This is Bullhagen. This is Berg. And, and no one else just, is here. No one else is here. What could go wrong? <laughs> Absolutely everything. <laughs> Do you have a nice Christmas? Yeah, it went it went well. I salted some lutefisk and baked it in the oven, and it turned out really great. My wife said she didn't even hate it, so. Wow. Yeah. Well, the, the listener who doesn't know what lutefisk is, can you describe exactly what it is? Well, it is a, well, here, <laughs> I don't know how to quite lutefisk. Let's just go with the Wikipedia article okay. here. Okay. <laughs> so it is... Dried white fish, usually cod, but sometimes uh, other types of fish, cured in lye. It is made from aged stockfish or dried and salted cod. The fish takes a gelatinous texture after being rehydrated for days prior to eating. So, so it's the lye, right? That's the ah, <laughs> what? It, what is the? What's it what? Has a str- it's a strong flavor, would you say, or is it a strong smell? It had a pretty, a pretty fishy, strong smell. It was, but it was really quite good. I had mashed green peas with it, and then small pieces of fried bacon. And uh, this is kind of a new Norwegian tradition that I want to kind of bring back. And so, are, are you Norwegian? I am. I'm more Norwegian than I am German. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, learning new things all the time. Ber- I mean, Berg is a German name. Right? No, it's a Norwegian name. Really? Yep. Well, I'm learning all sorts of stuff. So you're you're a Viking. Yep. Wow. Can't you tell from my belligerent nature? Um, you know that's the thing. Uh, Germans can be that way too. I don't know if you've <laughs> noticed that. Yes, I I have noticed that. <laughs> so, ah, you learn something new every day. Do you have a nice Christmas outside of the Ludafisk? Yeah, yeah. It was it was pretty good. Uh, my Grandmother died on Christmas Day, and that was oh. a good thing because okay. now she's in heaven, and that's always a wonderful thing to rejoice in and mm-hmm. and all that good stuff. So, yeah. Are you, are you going back for the funeral? Or? Yeah, the funeral will be on Saturday, so uh, the day before this drops. So Okay. All right. And that, that's in Minnesota, I'm taking. Yep. I take it'll, it. Yep. yep you- it'll be in Minnesota. Are you going to bring some lutefisk with you? No, because no one else will eat it. So, <laughs> so yeah, we'll go back and hopefully the roads will clear up a little bit and we'll... Well, we haven't had any snow here in Iowa yet. Oh, hardly. really? Yeah. It was in the 50s over Christmas. Well, we got 27 and a half to 28 inches here. I think it was like before, like around Thanksgiving. And then we got mm-hmm. another five inches uh like two or three days before Christmas, so it it it's cleared off pretty much, hasn't it? It had because it was like forty degrees out, but it's cooled off quite a bit. So I think the snow is here to stay. Yeah, that's all right. You like the snow? I do. I like being snowed in. It's great. <laughs> all right, uh, and uh, I'm supposed to be. This is our New Year's because today is New Year's Eve day, right? Right. And uh, um, we're supposed to be having the mezcal that, that uh, Peter got for the podcast, but I uh, didn't bring it. So, 
plus it's like noon here so right you know yeah but, it, it is 10 it's like 10 30 here so <laughs> and uh, we have a great we have a great podcast ready for you because i mean when you think of new year's eve when you think of celebrating the new year what gets you more than the mood than considering the seven seals of revelation six indeed well <laughs> you know just like you guys break your new year's resolutions uh the lamb is breaking the seals, so. And you'll find out what that means in a little bit. But first, we should talk about what we're preaching on, don't you think? Sounds like a good like a good plan. Are you doing uh are you doing the Sunday after Christmas, Luke twenty two, thirty three through forty? Yes. All right. I can read that. I got that up already. Uh, okay, go ahead. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the heart that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of, of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So I, I must admit, I do add, I start at 22. Oh, okay. I get the I'll, whole song of Simeon. Simeon well, but do, you, uh, do you want me to go back and do that? Oh, no, no, no. Because I like the fact that this is an aspect of the text that doesn't really get brought up, you know? Right. Of the the darker words of Simeon. Yeah. Yeah. They uh they sure splash some cold water on the Christi- on the Christmas festivities. <laughs> right. Merry Christmas. Sword will pierce through your own soul, Mary. Yeah. Well and even even the description of the Christ child here that uh behold this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Uh, this should bring up ideas of Isaiah eight fourteen through 15, uh, where he will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble. They, should fall, they shall fall and be broken, be snared and taken. We also see the same thing in like Romans 9, 32 and 33, mm-hmm. where Paul says about you know, the Israelites and them not believing. He says, why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him shall not be put to shame. Or again, First Peter 2, 7 through 8. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. So when you, when you it kind of rains on the parade, but yet he still rejoices before he gets to that, right? Yeah. He, he gets to depart in peace. Right. Uh, and, and 
taking into context of, of some of those passages that you read, it is based in, in the gospel, not in, in the works, but in faith. Yeah, I mean, you know, so if you're looking for sermon themes, like, you know, you could do the nuke de Menis, right? What is the departure in peace? Uh, why is there a departure in peace? And who is this departure in peace for, right? That'd be an easy right. three-point sermon for the nuke de Menis. For the ri- the falling and rising of many in Israel, your first point could be the falling of it, the falling in Israel. What is that falling, right? It is a falling mm-hmm. of disobedience, a falling of unbelief, a falling of seeking to replace uh, the gospel, that is the good news that Christ has done all of these things for you, and it is applied to you by faith with the works of the law, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the rising of many in Israel is that this is by faith, uh, that to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, to him it is reckoned as righteousness. So... You could even do Simeon and Anna as two points of the same sermon, or you could even focus on the human nature of Christ in that he grows, right? That he mm-hmm. that he grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, that he, even though he is God and knows all things, he still gained wisdom according to his human nature, standing in our and- place and being our representative. Right. That, I think verse 39 is maybe glossed over, but that is supremely important, that when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, is that that fulfillment was done in our place. Right. The perfect fulfillment. And it's interesting, you know, how as Jesus was fulfilling the law, Christ was, he had to rely on Mary and Joseph to be righteous to fulfill those things. Yeah. Now, that says something about infant baptism, if you think about it, in the sense of, well, the baby doesn't know what's going on, and it's the, the mom and dad that bring the infant to baptism. And, and yet here, Christ was fulfilling the law uh, by, by his own parents, providing the sacrifice, circumcision, and all those things that uh, was going on. That was Christ fulfilling the law for, for us on our behalf. Right. And I mean, this is how Luther talks about baptism. He first doesn't talk about the benefits. He first talks about the command, right? Right. God God says, be baptized. Uh, even if you don't feel it, or even if you don't think it, how about you submit to his will, right? Because mm-hmm. this also gives so many great benefits. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, because you can kind of you can kind of bring in the, the circumcision in all of this too. Certainly, it's also the circumcision eighth day after Christmas, which the, would be the next day. Yeah, you could talk about the uh, uh, the purification of Mary, right? Mm-hmm. And how that ceremonial uncleanness is also a, a picture of the sin that we have, the uncleanness mm-hmm. of our sins. The redemption of the Redeemer could be another one, that they have to buy Jesus back, right? Yeah, right. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of so it depends on how Old Testamenty you want to get in all this good stuff. So, yeah, there's just just a lot there for sure, and uh, it also answers the question. Your favorite hymn, I know, "A Mary Did You Know," and the answer is yes. Mary yes, kind of knew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> I like how. Uh, I often wonder how many times it's been happened, uh, like the Sunday before Christmas, where someone 
sings Mary Did You Know and also had the Magnificat red. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just like, come on. <laughs> yeah. But, so you know. It's more sentimental, though, right? Well, yeah. Everybody loves their feels. So, uh, as Peter would be telling us to move on, you have, we were kind of wondering what we could talk about today, and I and you had an idea. Explain your idea. Yeah, so my idea is, is I've been working on a project here. I posted a little bit over on Godestienst, and so you could go read that article as well. This is, I'm doing a translation of what's called the Elector's Bible, or the Weimar Bible, or the Ernstinian Bible. This was a Bible that was commissioned, a study Bible commissioned by the by Elector uh, Ernst from, uh, oh, what is the name of the title? A Goethe, and he he commissioned this Bible in the 1640s in order to teach the common people about the Christian faith and the like. And so I've been translating this Bible, and I'm hoping to have Revelation out by Easter for available to purchase on Amazon and that sort of thing. So that's the goal. Hopefully I'll reach it. And Right. Uh, now that you've, you have to, now that it's, it's Clerical Ears podcast official. I know, right? I, now I have to work <laughs> even harder. <laughs> so, uh, and so can you, what's the kind of his, the historical context then? So a little bit more. So what was going on that this was really needed? Because so, we're, we're about a hundred years or so after the word uh, kind of was getting to everybody, right? A hundred years, give yeah, or take. Yeah. So this was this Bible was written and commissioned about at the end of the Thirty Years' War, which was a very devastating war between. It started between Protestants and Roman Catholics, and it's a long, sordid thing. But basically, it devastated Germany. A lot of people died. A lot of people starved to death. There were marauding armies going through. Uh, churches were destroyed. Uh, so it really just disrupted German life for a, for a very, very long time. Um, and the elector, Ernst, wanted to, he loved his people. He wanted them to be Lutheran. He wanted them to know what the Bible says. He wanted them to be able to read it. And literacy, literacy rates in his country were very, very high because he was a good ruler. He wanted his people to read. He wanted his people to be to have the skills to be able to read Holy Scripture on their own and to explain it to their children. Mm-hmm. And so this is, I don't know. I wish more rulers were like this, <laughs> right? So, so in your as you're translating Revelation, I imagine coming out of what had to feel and seem like an apocalyptic time that that kind of would find its way in in what he what the the bible was saying the, the notes actually it's it's timeless um i'm very very happy and surprised that most of this stuff is very very relevant uh today as it was in the 1640s um the only thing that i might have to go back and change is uh, luther's note on the black horse and the court of wheat for denarius because he uses like german the German coin Groschen and and that sort of thing. And so that might have to be updated. But really it's it's pretty timeless. It's pretty great. So, which right, is, so how which do you is want... why I'm doing it. Um 
So I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the outline of, of this first. At the beginning okay. of every chapter, you have a breakdown of different parts of said chapter, okay? Mm-hmm. So it breaks it down so it's easier to digest. Uh, then you have the text with uh, the interlinear notes in the text kind of set aside. So think kind of like Kretzmann's popular commentary, something very okay. similar to that. Mm-hmm. And then you have, at the end of every chapter, you have the applications or the uses of Scripture for that chapter. Okay. So today I just I figured we could do the, uh, the breakdown of the chapter and then the applications of the chapter, and then if there's something in particular you'd like to to focus on within that we can focus on it so okay so all right. so all right so um the six for the listener this is revelation 6 right so revelation 6 the 6th chapter it comprehends the opening of the six different seals and thus has six parts uh part 1 one appears with a crown on a white horse who is a picture of the divine word which gives the foremost comfort in all bodily and spiritual tribulations and must obtain the victory. Second, the second seal indicates persecution, war, and bloodshed. Uh, number three, the third, hunger and inflation. Number four, the fourth, pe- death and pestilence. Uh, the fifth, the fifth means the situation of the conquering church, what the chosen souls think when the embattled church suffers such plagues. And finally, six, a sad state of affairs, or the number of terrible, miraculous signs. So that is the breakdown of the sixth chapter, and it makes sense because there are six seals, so it makes sense to break it into six parts, right? Right, right. All right, so the uses or the applications of this chapter. The first application is teaching or doctrine. Uh, Christ is pictured with a bow that he goes out and conquers. Thereby indicated is the power of his word, that he lets the word be preached in the whole world and prevails against idolatry and the devil's might. And you can find that primarily in verse 2. So there, this application, the, the one riding the white horse is Jesus, and the bow is his word. Right. The second application is also teaching or doctrine. The one on the red horse takes away peace from the earth that they might slay one another, is an illustration of the devil, who is a murderer from the beginning and the instigator of all persecutions, unrest, wars, and disputes, according to the providence of God. And you can find that primarily in verse 4. Number three is also teaching or doctrine, that God afflicts the people with expensive times and hunger distress, as alluded to here, by the knight on the black horse, such they deserve with for their sins and great unrighteousness in trade and in life. Verses 5 and 6. What I find interesting about that whole discussion is, is we would assume that these type of things intensify, and I think we're seeing that more. And I think, actually, we're on a precipice... Precipice, yeah. <laughs> of... Uh, of things really changing a lot, I think, in the next 10 years, even more so. Yeah. And uh, we've gotten to be so technically advanced, and yet 
we could go through a time of of great hunger and without things that we don't always realize because if like for example the technical infrastructure falls away we don't know how to do anything anymore yeah we have population centers where you have 10 million people who depend upon them getting food from all over the world that falls apart really is more precarious than people realize and it wouldn't take much to disrupt everything whether it's something to the power grid or something with the food centers like if something if all of a sudden we can't ship our grain anywhere right that's one thing nice about living iowa if something were to happen we would probably be able to find a way to get food here right well i mean i even look at remember the derecho those you know really heavy wind storms that came through i mean look how much that disrupted southern iowa Right. You know, so it doesn't take much to screw everything up. And uh, so, yeah, you're right. It's we could be in trouble if. Right. Because we we think of the 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 the, how awful it is that going to the grocery store gets it's gotten to be quite expensive. And it has been. But well, and like we have food there to buy. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Well, and this is the thing that we should learn here is that God is the one afflicting us with this because we deserve this for our sins and our great unrighteousness in trade and life. So, I mean, I think this should actually cause us to repent. Like, hey, eggs are expensive in the grocery store. Maybe we should repent. Milk Mm -hmm. is expensive. Maybe we should repent. Maybe we should turn from our sins. (laughs) Right. We even find in our gospel ring that we just talked about, the prophetess uh, Anna, who spent a lot of her time fasting right as if to say yes this teaches me my reliance on god i mean you go a day without food you go two days without food you realize just how weak we are right all right should i keep going keep going all right number four is another teaching or doctrine hell follows after death that is whoever does not believe in christ who has rescued us from hell and from it sets his believers free shall certainly come into hellish torment through and after death, out of which there is no deliverance. And we see that in verse 8. This might actually right. be a great thing for our reading today, too, because what makes death, death? The fear of death, right? right? We even see this with our Lord Jesus when he says that his soul is sorrowful even to death, that a bad conscience... um the fear of death, all of these kind of things talked about in Hebrews chapter two and that sort of stuff. That is what makes death scary. That makes death scary. But why does Simeon not fear death? Why is it a departure in peace? Well, because Christ has delivered his saints. He has set them free from the fear of hell through the forgiveness of sins, which is why uh, you know peace is the absence of guilt and strife and suffering and sorrowful and and that sort of thing. So you, you actually see you actually see this in in a weird way in the animal kingdom. Mm-hmm. And that that when we think of animals and going through tough times, there is a layer that they don't have. For example, like a dog doesn't worry. What is what is this going to mean for me in five years? Right. <laughs> right. That's exactly it's right. Like, they they think, oh, when's my next meal? Okay, I'm hungry. Right. <laughs> and all the things that, you know, let's if a dog gets uh, the dreaded cancer diagnosis, it's not losing any sleep over that. No, that's exactly right. <laughs> you know, 
we have that added layer. You see this in it, and you probably noticed this in your son when he was an infant child getting a shot for the first time. Like, they're like, ow. And then they move on. <laughs> and then they, once they understand what's going on, yeah. And then they, it, all of a sudden, it's a whole thing. Yep. <laughs> and uh, when we talk about death, I think animals have a fear of death in the sense of all the immediate threats that they have, but they don't spend a lot of time worrying about it. Right. And I mean, this is why Hebrews 2 talks about, you know, Christ defeating the devil because we're enslaved by the devil through the fear of death, right? Mm -hmm. And without Christ, we should be afraid because when we die, hell follows after. Like, that is scary. You see this in Peter. Peter was afraid of death the, the, the night before Jesus died. And then very soon after the resurrection, he had zero fear of death and would say anything to anybody. Right, Because exactly. what could they do to him? So, all right. All right. Number five is another teaching or doctrine that the souls of the blessed dead who are killed for the sake of Christ are in hev- heavenly repose and are gifted with perfect purity and holiness denoted by the white robes, which is shown here in a bodily vision to John, verses 9 through 11. Which is a nice okay. thing, you know, that, that the saints, that the blessed dead, especially the martyrs, are in heaven. They mm-hmm. uh, are perfectly holy and righteous. They are with Christ, which is far better. But I think the thing that we sometimes forget about is they also have a question, right? How long, O oh Lord? Right. And their question is perfect because they no longer suffer from sin, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah, so and- this shows that there has to be a resurrection, right? That eventually God will come back, Christ will come back, and he will right every wrong. There is there is a way of also that the Bible teaches a way of seeing grace in, in both of them, too. I think I might have talked this in the last episode, that there is graciousness in his, his coming on the last day, but there's also graciousness in his waiting because the desire for more to repent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that martyrdom, and I think we have to actually change our view on this some, is martyrdom is actually a great gift from God. Um, you've been accounted worthy, and it's something that we should rejoice over. Um, yeah, you actually taught me something about that, too. Uh, in, in your description of uh, the wounds of the martyrs, how in their glorified state they hold on to those, mm-hmm. as though they are uh, blessed battle wounds. You see this, the, the, the best example of this is when Christ appears to his disciples. What does he do? Yeah, he shows them their hands in his in his side. Right, right. And this is why you see image images of the glorified John the Baptist, and he's like, yeah, and he's got a ho, ho. he's got a he's got a silver platter with his head on it, right? Which is right. which is awesome. Or Bartholomew holding his own skin, right? Right. I mean, it's great. I mean, people might think it's gruesome, but it's like no, they overcame. And they overcame right. by dying for the truth. Right. It's their glory. It's, it's, it is their glory. And that's something, you know, uh, Adam Kuntz, Dr. Adam Kuntz has talked a lot about that uh, on Brief History of Power and that sort of thing. And, you know, I do. I think we need to start reading more martyr stories to our kids because, let's be honest, I mean, it's more likely that they will be persecuted and martyred now than than ever before. Right? Right. And so how do you... Okay, how do you prepare for something like that? Well, if we look at 
at athletics, what do you do before the big game? You practice. You prepare. Right? Yeah, you train. You, you train. You practice. And I mean, as Christians, we should actually practice. And part of the way we practice is by reading the scriptures, reading the accounts of the martyrs and of the prophets who died, and by also reading maybe Fox's books, Book of Martyrs or something like that to kind of inculcate in us this sort of thing. Because if you wait until the big game without any preparation, it's probably not going to go so well. <laughs> right. Right. So, and that, that's what I think dreams are used for, by the way, because you dr- have weird dreams of things that seem outlandish. I think it's your, your brain kind of running through the playbook a little bit. Yeah. You know, right. I think that's a good thing. I, I think it's a good thing to meditate on these things, think about these things, and also to change our view that suffering is necessarily bad or evil because it's not. If you are murdered for the Christian faith, you are going to be under the altar which is about as close to Jesus as you can possibly be, right? Yeah. And that's a great thing. So in other words, if, if you have a dream where you, you're at the gas station and you forgot to wear pants, that's your brain preparing you for the odd chance that that might happen. You know exactly what to do. Yep, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then the final application here is also teaching or doctrine. And it is the manifold insurrections, breakdowns in governments, the corruption of divine teaching, and the persecution of confessors is indicated through the great earthquake that goes back and forth in the world, incited by the Antichrist at all times. And that's in verse 12. So, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Is there anything in particular in, do you want to do a, a particular ver- verse in, in, this, in this chapter here? Maybe look at some of the, the notes. Sure, sure. Uh, well, well, I'm trying to figure out which seal we're in right now is, is part of my issue. <laughs> yes, <laughs> all just, of them. Just kidding. <laughs> um, I will say, uh, uh, let's, that, since that's the most recent, let's do the verse 12 when I open the sixth seal. Okay. All right, verse 12. All right, and I use King James here because it's uh, copyright-free. It's public domain, and it also fits pretty well with the Luther Bible text, so that's why I I chose it. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. Now, here is the note behind it. Thereby, great insurrections and breakdowns in the world are indicated, especially in the churches through heresies, the corruption of teaching, factions, and sects, which was followed by the anti-Christian kingdom. Back to the text. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair. Note, thereby the corruption of teaching of the person, office, and benefits of the Lord Christ is indicated. Uh, and then it has a, a citation here. Malachi 4.2, and the Lord Christ, who is the son of righteousness, and his ascent from the heights, Luke 1.78, where Zechariah is talking about uh, the day spring from on high shall, shall visit us, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, back to the text. And the moon became as blood. Note, thereby pictured are the great persecutions in which the church, who is therefore compared to the moon because they receive their luster and light from Christ and soon diminishes in this world, is painted in blood. And then the reference here is the Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 10, where it talks about uh, the moon and the like. So, Right, right. So yeah, here... That's- 
so here we see that these are not just like physical manifestations, but these are actually symbols talking about spiritual realities, right? That the sun of righteousness, the sun being darkened here, is the darkening and suppression of the divine truth. The moon becoming as blood, this is the church, right? So, uh, how, did you notice to me, thinks of when I, th I think of when Christ died, what happened? There was darkness, right? An earth earthquake, right? So, and, uh, go ahead. Any other verses you want to do? Um, let's do, uh, um, verse 15. Verse 15. Okay. All right. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the, in the dens, and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? And here's the note here. Um, and this is interesting, translating this, because I've only read this in Schmied's doctrine of the evangelical Lutheran church, where he talks about an oriental antichrist, which is Islam, and mm -hmm. an occidental antichrist, which is the papacy. Okay? Okay. So, the oriental antichrist has caused such bloody wars and such great destruction that many people wish them dead. In the realm of the occidental antichrist, many persons of high rank also left their station hid themselves in monasteries and cloisters to atone for sins through their austere lives and to acquire salvation, and yet always had to doubt the mercy of God and the forgiveness of sins. This time in which both Antichrist's rule is made the time of wrath, because God, out of his righteous wrath and judgment, therefore men do not believe in the love for truth. The powerful anti-Christian error emerges, emerges in the church." 2 Thessalonians 2, 10 through 11. Also, the tribulations are made a picture of the great fright, which will attack all the godless on the last judgment day, that they namely will also will say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. Luke 23, 30. And, and I think a lot of that can be mirrored in the destruction of Jerusalem as well. Right, which is kind of a, a picture of the end of the world, right? At least in mm -hmm. microcosm. Right. So, right. How's that for New Year's, huh? So yeah. Uh, <laughs> yep. So clerical errors. Keep your keep yourselves posted. Hopefully, this will come out here soon. What you heard was rough translation. Some of the things have to be ironed out a little bit more, but we'll get her done and get her on. I I, I, I appreciate your uh, your opening this up to to many people. Yeah. So. You know why? Why? Why you choose Revelation first? I don't know because I did. Huh? I, I just yeah, it was fun and I wanted to do it. And part of it, to be fair, is marketing because if you can, <laughs> right? Be, because if you can, everybody just loves Revelation and you know, <laughs> good, good move. So you good know, um, if we can find a nice title for this for this series for this study Bible and kind of get it out there. I think it could be really useful to Christians of all denominations and hopefully get them on a better track than what is being taught now in Revelation. So, Yeah, yeah, because this is kind of like all the, many of the, just the weird 
weird ideas about Revelation have come more recent than when this was written, and it kind of just ignores all that mess. Yeah, and I think this is actually a very biblically grounded study Bible, which explains these things in a very simple way that you can be sitting at home reading this and be like, oh, yeah, okay, this is what's meant by the moon, or this is what's meant by the sun, Mm -hmm. or this is what's meant by... Remember when all that blood moon nonsense was going on? Yeah. I mean, you know, and it freaked people out, and it's like, well, you know, yeah, that was foretold by our Lord, but at the same time, it's also a picture of the church, which is persecuted and covered in blood, right? So, And it's it's important for for us to always realize that that yeah. when we we put this all together and we think of all this discussion and all that Christ did and the last day and place in the context of of who we are is to remember that that God didn't do all of this, create all of this, redeem all of this, send his son to die and rise to lose. Like the end game, although there's destruction, death, horrors all over the place. Right. Uh there's still victory. The the glory and and the salvation and the bride of Christ and all that is born out of all of this strife is way greater than it would have been if it never existed. Right. And this is why the white horse comes first. And that might be a good place just to end because it's so comforting. And I think that's why the gospel here comes first, because despite all of these other bad things, the gospel does go forth to conquer. So that's back in verse two here, right? I saw Mm -hmm. and behold a white horse and he that sat on him had a bow. Through this is indicated the preaching of the gospel, Isaiah 49, 2, which Christ, after he sat himself down on the throne of the majesty of God in heaven in his ascension, spread through the holy, spread through the holy apostles in all the world. He is signified as sitting on a white horse because he has proclaimed peace through his apostles, Isaiah 52, 7, also signified by the signs of victory because the conquering lords who held their triumphs in Rome rode upon white horses. The power of the gospel is indicated by the bow because it penetrates the hearts of men as a sharp arrow. Psalm 45, 6, till it parts soul and spirit, even marrow and bone. Hebrews 4, 12. And then, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. He as a valiant hero through the gospel overcame and put down all the wisdom and power of the world, especially heathen idolatry, so that the nations fell from his sharp arrows. Psalm 45, 6 and were brought to the knowledge of the heavenly truth. By the mighty weapons of spiritual warfare, he destroyed the pretensions and every high thing that rose up against the knowledge of God. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. Because the word of the gospel must give the best consolation and preserve the victory in all spiritual and bodily plagues which the contending churches encounter and which are described below in this chapter, the same message is given at the beginning, even before the plagues are described. Beautiful, beautiful. And uh, what that proves too, uh, as you read read that, well, why do we need an explanation or like this? Well, if you remember, at the heart of what was going on at the Reformation in the years following is the fact that Scripture interprets Scripture. And all this Bible is doing is, if you look at the scriptural references, it's just pointing you back to other parts of Scripture. You want to understand this well look what this says look what this says look what this says right all right we do have 
I want a couple of emails. I don't want to get way too in the emails. It's hard for me to do without the the producer here. Uh, But we had a listener who said, it did not go unnoticed that the music behind, this is from our last episode, the music behind Berg's behavioral analysis was Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairies. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. So thank you, listener. We also... Excited to say that we did get an email back from our super fan saying that he did receive the orders. Remember, he's going to do, uh, he's accepted uh, the super fan and he, we asked him to, to record the weather of the Amber Days, then see if it rightly predicts the weather. Nice. So, um, going to be rad. So he does have a question. Maybe Berg can answer this one. I love, I love the, um, I love the uh, the confidence they have in me in these questions often. Maybe Berg can answer this. <laughs> I believe in uh, you, Bullhagen. <laughs> he says, Christians fast on Wednesdays and Fridays regularly. So what happens if a fast day falls on another fast day? Uh, do you double fast? Is it like multiplying negatives and you feast? Or do you get double points like Ramadan? Help me. I need to know. Nothing is at stake. <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, well, I mean, you could, yeah, fasting is fine outward preparation. If it falls on another fast day, it all really depends on your health and where you're at. Uh, if you're healthy and your fasting, your fast days consist of maybe like one meal a day, depending, maybe you go the whole day fasting if you can handle it. I would not recommend that for diabetics uh, or for pregnant women or, or those kind of things right? or the elderly. So it kind of just depends, right? If you're already fasting uh, with just water, you know, you really can't fast more than that. So it really kind of depends on what your your fasting looks like. Are they smaller meals? Well, you could always make them smaller. You could maybe do like a bullion soup or something. You know, so yes, that's the thing. This is this is fasting in the gospel, not in the law. It's not like you have to do this. It is right. As Luther would say outward training, and well, it's as like soon he as said, it becomes uh, a law, you know, no, nothing is at stake, right? <laughs> right, right. My my suggestion would be like uh, if you have two that happen to fall on the same day, you just do them both really fast. There'd be like fast, fast. <laughs> Nice. Like I don't have a lot of time. I'm just going to fast for the next half hour. Well, and the great thing is about fasting is like all of the benefits that go along with it. Like there are not just spiritual benefits, but also uh, physical benefits to intermittent fasting and that sort of thing. So, right. you know, thanks be to God. Right. Um, but yeah, don't ever forget why you're doing it, right? It's not just to do it to do it, but, you know, I would actually, if two fast days even fall together, maybe you actually do more Bible reading. You know, yeah, um, and, yeah, something along those. And remember that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So you could actually add something that way. Uh, so, and though the purpose would be to grow, right? So, and that's what all of the outward training is for. It's uh, to recognize our reliance on God to discipline our own bodies. We we life. actually did talk about already the fact that food could be a unlimited supply 
I mean, how what is a better way to prepare for that than to, to actually being get used to not having food? Exactly. Well, what I've found too is like when I fast, I actually end up having more energy, which it seems kind of weird, but mm-hmm. uh, it's true, right? Your body will actually heal itself better overnight if you do kind of a long fast overnight. So, yeah, and your cells will repair themselves. It'll eat some of the bad cells. So yeah, there are a lot of benefits to it. Uh, but I would be careful, especially if you're elderly or you have diabetes or something like that. Just, you know, I would consult your physician or something. Right. We don't need anybody fainting or, and make sure you drink, you know, take enough electrolytes too. So if you do fast, like make sure you get enough electrolytes or you will not feel very good. So, so with that in mind, I think we have a show. We do. Oh, good. It's a little short of a show, but. Hey, Peter will be very thankful. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for listening. This is Bullhagen. This is Berg. And may your seals be broken. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, on Twitter at clericalheirsp for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.